This is a Journal of Animal Ecology podcast. In this podcast, I am speaking with Mark Dittmer from Colorado State University, who recently had a paper published in the British Ecological Society special issue on citizen science. Welcome, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. So you study American black bears. I mean, that's something that's really cool. And in your studies, you've also had people report recordings or sightings of black bears. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the American black bear is this incredibly adaptive species, and they're able to thrive in all sorts of areas right alongside people. And that's pretty impressive for such a large mammal. And throughout their range in North America, the black bear is expanding uh, their geographic range and increasing their abundance in many places as long as human tolerance allows. And they, you know, they seek out these areas right alongside people to find things such as dumpsters, bird feeders, crops, really anything. Um, And so I actually did my PhD working with American black bears in the far northwest corner of Minnesota along the Canadian border in an area you wouldn't expect to find them out in these open agricultural lands where the bears sought out different crops for for food. But it was really kind of bizarre to see a bear out in this place. You expect to see them in the forest, of course. And so not only are bears expanding their range in that part of Minnesota, but really throughout um, outside of their traditional range of this forested area. And so it became clear to the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources wildlife biologists that bears are are really kind of moving outside this range in many areas. And so they started a website for citizens to be able to report bear sightings. And so they opened this up to the public in 2018. And immediately they were already finding that people were reporting bears both right outside of major metropolitan areas, such as Minneapolis, St. Paul, all the way out into you know agricultural zones and, and things where there's hardly much natural vegetation around. And so the goal was really to track the expansion of the population into these less forested regions after all these anecdotal reports came in. And you know, it, it really allowed for accurate tracking because the website allowed for people to log on and to drag a little pin to the location where they saw the bears. So they didn't actually have to have it, you know, like a GPS, you know, uh, recorder with them when, you know, when they had seen a bear. And it also asked them several additional questions, such as like, what was the bear doing while you saw it? And so while these reports and, you know, associated spatial locations of the bears provided great info to the the wildlife biologists about the whereabouts of these bears and these non-traditional habitats, given the purpose of the project to really increase participation so that we could really monitor these bears over such a big area, really that the thresholds for participation were were low. Anybody could just go on and report these bear sightings. So there wasn't too much um, structure as to how and when and and where that, you know, you go through these protocols for seeing the bears. And, you know, it's really attractive for the, the wildlife managers to be able to collect all this info and and have a lot of you know responses however the issue being because these sightings were so opportunistic they resulted in 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 data that while you can track where the bears were going it's hard to make 
ecological inference from such opportunistically collected data. And that's really at the heart of where our paper comes in. Yeah, because um, your paper deals exactly with this issue of observer bias in citizen science projects and something that especially occurs in maybe less structured citizen science projects. So your paper is entitled Artificial Nightlight Helps Account for Observer Bias and Citizen Science Monitoring of an Expanding Large Mammal Population. It was part of your work at the University of Michigan. Can you tell us a little bit about this paper? Sure. Uh, this paper you know, investigated whether the use of satellite imagery um, that collected artificial nightlight data and quantified how, how much light was being produced could be used to help us model and really improve our models of, um, you know, using those locations from the American black bears throughout the state of Minnesota so that we could get a better understanding of the ecological factors that allowed for these bears to increase their range instead of just mapping where are people seeing bears. And so, you know, as we know, citizen science projects offers, you know, a large list of potential benefits, both in terms of having better communication and relationships between scientists and the public. And it's especially important for wildlife biologists sometimes dealing with, you know, um, controversial species that maybe cause damage to people's property and things like that. However, there's all this, you know, long list of, of beneficial things such as, you know, the ability to collect large amounts of data over such a large range. And that's really was their purpose. And, and it worked out incredibly well in that they had over 1,900 bear sightings reported to them um, all the way from the Canadian border down to the border between the states of Minnesota and Iowa to the south. Um, and that was just within that two-year period. And so, you know, the issue, uh, you know, as we kind of alluded to, is that then there's this strong spatial bias in sort of how these data are collected because they're so opportunistic. And so the idea is that, you know, for a citizen scientist to observe and report a bear location, it requires two pieces, one, the bear to be there, but also for the person to be present as well and actually observe the bear. And so this leads to, um, you know, some of these projects that rely on data like this can be biased towards areas that are more accessible to citizen scientists. Um, so we might understand using just that data, the relationship between, um, you know, these areas where citizen scientists are more likely to be and the animal. But when we try to make inference across larger areas to spots where there are less people and less citizen scientists moving throughout, it causes some issues. And so I became aware of this issue while I was working with this artificial light data as a postdoc at uh, University of Michigan. And when I saw what the um, Minnesota Department of Natural Resources were doing with collecting these bear data, and these were people I'd worked with previously, I reached out because I thought our new data from NASA might really help to capture this dynamic human footprint of, of where people are moving because this new light data isn't just everywhere that lights are created. It has special new filters that actually remove all sources of natural light, such as moonlight and snow reflectance and things like that. So it's just the anthropogenic components of light from space, captured from space. And so the idea is really twofold as to why light might be helpful for such a project. And number one being that Artificial light might actually help us, citizen scientists, to directly observe bears and, and wildlife in general, because 
not only bears, but other species become much more nocturnal as they come into areas with more human presence. So it, it only made sense to get a handle of how artificial nightlight was directly helping citizen scientists actually spot bears. And you know what we found when we added this question to our for our citizen scientists about light, um, almost 20% said that artificial light played some role in helping them actually see the bears. However, the, the larger issue here is that we were wondering if this light data, which we were getting at monthly intervals, you know, as it changes, could actually help us track where people are going throughout this large area. And actually, and then if we could account for that, where people are in space and time more accurately, we can account for that spatial observer bias a bit better and get better inference about the ecological components that we were interested in regarding what are the factors influencing where bears are moving throughout this you know, atypical part of their range. And so what we found, the results show that artificial nightlight was by far the best in terms of improving our models relative to other you know more static metrics of the human footprint such as housing density and um, you know impervious surface and so by using the satellite data we were better able to account for where people were moving and then therefore we could gain better inference on the ecological side of things so we ended up being able to understand that bears move to areas that have less roadways more natural vegetation along riverways and things like that, which are pretty intuitive. But the point being that the light data could be really useful for citizen science and other aspects that when we need to kind of control for these opportunistic, spatially clustered values that come from sort of more easily accessible locations. Like you mentioned yourself, uh, a lot of other people have tried to account for this observer bias in citizen science by using housing density, roads, population density. What makes artificial nightlight so much better or potentially better than these other sources? Well, for example, within Minnesota, if you think about it throughout the year, people really change where they spend a lot of their time, especially recreating. So, you know, throughout the winter, most people might be kind of hunkered down in their homes while it's snowy. Um, but in the summer, they, you know, can spend weeks upon weeks out in, you know, cabins and different parts of the woods. And th those, the, the lights that get created that are going to be shifting, you know, more light created in those zones are going to be captured from satellites. And, we can, you know, track that with using these, these, well, actually it, it's collected daily, but what we were provided um, was actually monthly indices. However, you, if you did need to get at say daily metrics, you could do that. And I mean, I think that's important for even, you know, different aspects such as understanding where there might be human wildlife conflict and things like that. And so really the additional benefit of it is it's collected so frequently, you know, things such as housing density and roadways, those things are measured, you know, once every, you know, several years, and it doesn't change within the year so much. So you can't really get at that flux of where people are through time. Dealing with citizen science bias is one of the things that is often brought up when people critique citizen science. They're, they say the data is untrustworthy or too biased. And this idea of incorporating artificial nightlight will really help move that forward and account for this type of bias. But is there any other way that you think 
could help uh, move citizen science forward or something that is needed besides just being able to account for bias in data? Sure. I mean, some projects are able to, you know, implement a lot of great data collection protocols that eliminate a lot of the needs for what we did per se. And, you know, that, that, you know, that might bring about some of those critiques that you mentioned. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways to deal with that imbalance in, in those sampling efforts, you know, to improve our ecological inference. But again, it, you know, it can require a lot of additional, you know, either training of, you know, the public, or it can require a lot of just extra input every time you want to provide a, a data point or, or whatever you're providing to the project. And so if you're dealing with, say, you know, maybe a skeptical public over, you know, something that can be somewhat controversial, such as, you know, throughout Europe and North America and, and well, really many places, there are areas where large carnivores are recolonizing their former range or moving into new areas. And so the idea being, you know, some people might not be overly in favor of that, but you still want to have them reporting to you their locations if they saw it. So it's great for monitoring. And so you might not have that luxury of asking the public to either, you know, go through some form of training or whatever. And so it's, you know, it's really this trade-off of, you can eliminate the need to to add something like this to your models, maybe if you're able to really train people and develop where they should be looking or you know those sort of aspects. But when you you need to just collect as much as you can for really dual purposes, whether it's just sort of monitoring for management, but then also making inference, having something like Nightlight to understand where people are moving is is really helpful. Going back to the black bears. Citizen science is also for as a tool to educate the the public or the volunteers that participate, and perhaps maybe especially in situations where there might be some conflict between human and wildlife as wildlife moves into human areas. Do you think this black bear project has had a positive influence on the volunteers' perception of American black bears? Well, I think that um, you know. Generally, at least in Minnesota, most of the public, they like their bears. Um, so there isn't too much conflict per se, although that's certainly not always the case when you have a bear, you know, trying to raid your garbage cans or eating your crops. But, you know, it certainly allows for somewhat of a, a, a release for the public to be able to say, okay, we are provide, we are letting this agency that's um, in charge of monitoring and managing the species know where we're seeing bears. And, you know, certainly there was a lot of comments within the data about a lot of them were, you know, excited to see a bear, but there was definitely some people saying like, this bear has been back to my house, uh, knocking over my garbage cans, eating at my bird feeder night after night. So it allows for a level of feeling like you can provide some some form of critique or input to the agency. What exactly they did with some of those reports and responses, like I'm not totally sure, but I think it's at least a great tool for allowing such a, you know, maybe a back and forth or at least a way for people to, to allow their voices to be heard if there is issues such as that. And have you ever participated in a citizen science project as a volunteer yourself? Yeah, I uh, I actively am part of a recording different canids that are found within the the twin cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. There's a there's an e-mammal project out there that's 
looking for this and the, the name is uh, the Twin Cities Coyotes and Fox Project, if you want to look it up on eMammal. And so this is a pretty cool project that I've been able to participate in because I, I do a lot of bicycling. So I see a lot of coyotes and foxes along the Mississippi River as I'm biking. And so it's sort of the same idea as our bear project. I don't need to have a GPS out there. I don't need to be exactly looking for these species. But if I see them, I go home and then I can drag a pin on a map to pretty close to where I saw a coyote or a fox. So that's really cool. Um, I've also been part of research uh, recently on uh, involving the, the impacts of noise and light on bird presence and reproduction success using feeder watch and nest watch data. And that's part of Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And also I've gotten my mother involved in citizen science. She, she's um, you know less mobile after having some surgeries, so it's really a great way for her to actually get to see a lot of cool wildlife. I, I got her involved when categorizing images from camera traps on Zooniverse. I think it was a project called Colorado Corridors that was looking at capturing imagery of, of wildlife moving across a certain highway to understand where might there be a best place for um, overpasses for wildlife? And she absolutely loved it. And she'll, she will email me excitedly when she gets a bear in one of her photos or things like that. <laughs> that sounds lovely. I mean, it's really great when you hear citizen science projects having cross-generational participants or you hear that one person inspired their parents or their children to get interested in science when did you get interested in citizen science yourself? Well, my PhD had nothing to do with citizen science at the time. As I mentioned, it was that, you know, dealing with bears in northern Minnesota. But while I was doing my PhD at the University of Minnesota, Dr. Alexandra Swanson was launching Snapshot Serengeti, which was on the Zooniverse platform. And one of the, you know, I don't know, what was done in the the uh, citizen science world before that. I'm sure there was plenty of projects, but it sort of really um, made a huge splash both in the media and in the in the scientific world because she had thousands of volunteers around the world categorizing imagery from uh, remote camera traps throughout the Serengeti. And I just, you know, I've seen many of her presentations and it's just so incredible, both the amount of participation and also just the sheer amount of data she was able to transform into scientific knowledge so quickly because people put in so much effort to categorize these images. And she had all sorts of really cool methods of sort of, because a lot of them are species that maybe we're not as familiar with because there are all these really cool African species. And, you know, the way she did it is there was all sorts of um, double checking of things, having many, many observers and, you know, how much variation was there and how people were categorizing these things. And so it was just such cool safeguards. It really allowed me to see that there are people that criticize citizen science of being maybe potentially less accurate, but there's a lot of great safeguards and ways of handling potential error that can remove those components. And it really opened my eyes to what's possible um, with it and just sort of the great ability to then, you know, have all this, your work get out there is, is just super great on the science side of things too. I think Snapshot Serengeti was actually the first citizen science project I came across. That and maybe Galaxy Zoo. So that's really cool. Do you have a favorite citizen science project or a project that you would recommend others to try and participate in? 
You know, I often will go on to that same project that my showed to my mother, the Colorado Corridors one, just because I'm really interested in road ecology myself. And so it's super interesting for me to, to just simply kind of think about and look at, you know, what species are they capturing on these cameras right along this major highway and sort of get some ideas going for me as to different other projects that I could do about, you know, improving, uh, you know, my studies when I'm considering roadways and their interactions with how animals are moving and things like that. So it's a source of sort of inspiration for me. Um, And it's, you know, visual, so it's fun and just, you know, exciting to see what their cameras have, have captured. And maybe an especially good project as it's winter and cold and everyone wants to stay inside. Thanks very much, Mark. Is there anything you would like to add here at the end? I have no more questions. No, it was great to get to chat with you. And uh, it's a super cool project and I appreciate it. Right. Well, thank you for joining. And uh, if people want to read your paper, they should uh, definitely look it up on Journal of Animal Ecology.